Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 6. It is a, a time in the book of Isaiah where we begin to see Isaiah understanding his call as a prophet. And it's also a time where we get to see how the people uh, really have been uh, not following God has been the trend for the Jews and for us as well. We will see how Isaiah is addressing this and God calling him to address this. Uh, through all this, we will see a better understanding, I hope, of God's holiness and his glory. And in that process, then, understanding uh, our need for a Savior and our call then to proclaim the gospel. Uh, let me pray and set aside this time before I begin to read and preach. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunities to understand you better to see you in a different light, to understand your call for us, our need for your son Jesus as your savior, as our savior, as your son, as your, as your prophet, as your king, as you have called him to be the offspring of Abraham that is foretold, that you brought to this world, that you rose from the dead after his death on the cross to die for our sins. We then want to receive him as Savior, and then we want to proclaim him as our Lord and King. Help us now to understand your words from your scripture and apply, our, to, apply it all to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isaiah chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their, eyes heavy, their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Please pray with me. Holy Father, I lift up now this time where you will speak for me. We pray that we will understand and 
be able to apply your scripture as you speak to us through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How often do you compare yourself to other people? Do you ever measure your ability uh, to do things in sports, in academics, in your workplace, in music? Um, what kind of comparisons uh, do you make between yourself and those in your family, those in your home? In comparison, are you uh, maybe a little better? Maybe you, you know, have some success, maybe they're better at you than other things? Uh, do you think, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, I'm, I'm doing things okay? Maybe that's what your friends or family say, that yeah, you're doing okay, things are good. However, do you think about what you're saying and doing and not really honest with yourself? Maybe you are doing pretty well in the world's eyes, but if you compare yourself to God, and to his son Jesus and the spirit that he sends to live with us, how do you think you measure up? What is your perspective when you consider your comparison with God? Well, today we're going to see that Isaiah's perspective, I think, changes a little bit, maybe becomes clearer when he encounters God physically in his, in his vision. He sees him in his vision. He sees the holiness of God. He understands better who God is. And then in seeing God's holiness transforms him and transforms our lives as we understand our place in that. So if you're interested in following along, the outline is on the back of your bulletin. I've got them broken up into three sections. Uh, the first four verses, vision of God. The next two, five through seven, cleansing by God. And then the last verses, eight through 13, commissioned by God. So we see in the first verse that he starts with a milestone that happens in history. It was the year that King Uzziah died. As we have studied through many of the Old Testament uh, scriptures and understanding a bit of the history of the kings, many times the, the events of kings dying and then a new king being uh, placed was kind of a change in the, in the character and the, the life of the, uh, the people of Israel. Uh, this one is no exception. And I thought it would be good for us to understand a little bit better the, the time that Isaiah is living in and the things that he was facing as a prophet. As we uh, will learn a little bit more about uh, Uzziah here as I read from Second Chronicles 26. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. He set himself to seek God in the day of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah 
and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gates and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war, in divisions according to the numbers and the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Masaiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah, the priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. Now when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a house, separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote. So we get a little bit of understanding of at least how the king was acting at that time, that God was preparing to have Isaiah come and be the prophet of the people. We then see that Isaiah has this vision of God. And when we hear of people seeing God, we understand that that's probably a vision or a dream. Um, as we know in scripture, uh, God protected Moses at the rock when he want, Moses wanted to see God's face because to see God's face would have meant death. But yet, God had a message and had a plan for Isaiah that he needed to convey to him. So he wanted Isaiah to see this and to understand who he was and then who Isaiah was going to become. So we see Isaiah is, is in this vision. He sees the six-winged seraphim. He sees God on a throne, high and exalted. The train, you know, probably larger room than this, filling the room completely. Um, an amazing sight, an amazing glimpse and just a glimpse then of God's glory and his holiness. They even described when the seraphim were, were 
proclaiming God's glory and singing his praises that it shook the doorposts and thresholds. So if you can imagine a sound loud enough to shake the doors and thresholds here, and they were just the angels, just the seraphim. Imagine God's power, God's majesty, and God's glory that we just can't understand. And that, that to me, that's the vision that we see. That's the vision that Isaiah sees. And he understands then the difference between who he is and his call and who God truly is. Now, he's at a difficult time because he is trying to preach God's word and proclaim the Messiah to come according to Scripture. But yet, he's having a difficult time for people to listen. So, one point I'd like you to see here is that when things are difficult, God's people need a fresh view of him as the Holy Sovereign Lord. Whenever Isaiah was troubled, he was able now to reflect on the fact that God was with him, the almighty, all-powerful, everlasting God was there to help him and to guide him. But sometimes we need just a different look at things and to understand how God is really working in our lives and who he really is. Try not to get too technical. I have an illustration that I use from work. Uh, it's become kind of a joke for us. Um, I'm a structural engineer, as I've shared before, and I, we do a lot of work with computer drafting. And there's a couple different ways to set up AutoCAD drawings where we have the you know, detail set up and we have uh, the main plans that you do to design a building and have it built for construction. Well, sometimes we use the term viewport where we, we create a viewport on a detail that then shows up in the drawing that we want to print. Well, if viewport isn't quite put together right, or if you're looking through a picture and maybe you're not getting the whole picture, and maybe you need to expand the viewport or your, your vision, then you understand better the, the meaning of the vision and what you're seeing. And I think here we're seeing that, in a sense, Isaiah's viewport has been expanded to understand who God is, to see who he truly is, and understand his holiness and see his glory. So if you're struggling with a difficult situation, perhaps your, your thoughts and your, uh, your actions, you're worried, uh, you're disconcerned, and you're really confused what to do. What will you then do if you're discouraged and overwhelmed? It's pretty clear that we can see that we can meet God where he is, where you are in his word and through prayer. Will you turn to God and his scriptures and your prayers as you then prepare to tell him what your difficulties are, where things are challenging for you, where he needs to help you understand, maybe give you a fresh start, a, a good change of perspective in what your call is and what he's calling you to do. Turn to God because he's the holy God who can help you and maintain that uh, that transition that you need to serve him. We then see that because of him understanding who he is and his sin in his life, he knows the sin of the people around him, um, he confesses his sins and he also then confesses the sins of his people. To give us a little bit more understanding, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 5, which is the chapter previous. Um, it's a chapter where Isaiah is talking about some of the good things that the people are doing, but much of it is regarding the woes of the wicked. I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8 through 25. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, Surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. 
For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after the strong, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late in the evening, as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of His hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. The nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down. Her revelers and he who exalts her. Man is humbled and each one is brought low. The eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice. And the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture. And nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, Let him be quick, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come, that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as dry grass sinks down to the flame, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them, and struck them, and the mountains quaked. And their corpses were as refuse in the, middle of, in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. So you get a sense of the, the time of the people of Israel. It sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? I think we can all relate to different stories we've heard through Scripture, different situations we face in life. We see that Isaiah's understanding of who God is, again, God's holiness, God's power, God's glory, makes him realize that he needs to be forgiven. So in this case, he is forgiven through the touch of the burning coal to his lips, atoning for his sin. So we understand that in Isaiah's case, he was able to see God and then realize that his need for cleansing and atonement. And as we reflect on our sin in our lives, we have a chance to then reflect our understanding for cleansing and atonement as well. Have you ever noticed that when you're in the middle of reading maybe a scripture, maybe you're studying a book of the Bible, uh, hearing uh, good preaching or, or just listening to to good presentations on scripture, you be able to, you're able to see, maybe you understand better the sin in your life. Uh, maybe it's shining in a different way than you understand. As we're all sinners, we all have those, those things to deal with. Sometimes it takes a different perspective to understand that and accept that. When we see God for who he is, the holiness of him shines through the ugliness of our sin. And then that becomes more apparent. 
So how do you respond then to the guilt about your sin? Will you confess your sins to God and not make excuses? Because we're all really good at making excuses about why we do things. We won't do it again. Uh, but we need to accept and own the fact that we are sinners. And then accept God's atoning grace, his sacrifice that he sent for us, for his son Jesus Christ, our Savior, to make us right with God. And then change the perspective that we have in living. Have you accepted this gift from God of Jesus as your Savior? If not, pray about it. Talk to your friends that uh, you know that are, are faithful. Talk to Pastor Luke. Come see the elders. Uh, we want to walk with you if you're unclear of what that gift is and how that, under, that understanding is. It's life-changing, as you can see here. So we see that Isaiah has a different understanding of who God is. The vision of God has changed. The vision of his vision of God has changed. He has been cleansed. And now we're going to see how he is then called to serve God, to speak to his people, is commissioning to serve as his prophet. So Isaiah hears God proclaim, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he responds, Here I am, send me. Isaiah, I don't think, understands exactly what he's getting into, but he knows that God is with him. God is calling him to do this, so he is prepared to go. So then Isaiah hears God tell him about the hard-hearted people that he is around, that he already knows, but yet he's getting, a, again, a clear message of who that is that he's going to be talking to. As I heard earlier, John chapter 12 also reflects on the hard-heartedness, the unbelief of the people that we see in Jesus' time as well. Let me read this again, uh, John chapter 12, verses 36b through 43. Uh, in my Bible, it's titled, The Unbelief of the People. So it'll make sense how it fits here. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Before, therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the prophecies, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So we see a little bit, at least at that time, why people would reject Jesus and his claim as Savior. Unfortunately, I think we know many people like that, that are hard-hardened, hearted. They are hardened against Scripture. They're hardened against faith. The world has changed their perspective where they seek again the glory of man, the glory of your peers, rather than the glory of the Lord. But at the same time, Isaiah is called to talk to these people, to preach the, you know, the good news, basically. He is still encouraged to continue because no matter how many people he talks to, somebody's heart will be changed according to God's plan. 
And then at the end of this passage, God promises a remnant. There will be a, a group of people that still remain faithful. And he foretells the holy seed, a stump in the land of Israel. Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18, help us remember the call that, that God has given to Abraham, the covenant he made with him. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not have withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And then Paul's writing to the Galatians in chapter 3 also helps us a little bit better understand then who the offspring is and how that affects the covenant that God made. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary impl implies more than one, but God is one. So we see that God is fulfilling his plan through the messengers that he sends, and he calls the messengers to be faithful even when that message is rejected. How many people have tried to sell maybe candy or cookies or wrapping paper or things when you were in school or have children do that? How many times were you rejected if you went door to door to sell whatever you're selling? Many times we get rejected. All people do, you know, have a soft spot for candy and things like that. But when we're actually trying to sell something or you have people come to your house that want to sell you siding for your house and you just, you know, recited it. But people get rejected in their sales. And this is, in a sense, uh, an example of what really happens when we are out there pro proclaiming the gospel. Many times we get rejected, and it's easy to be discouraged. But yet, we are called to persevere. So will you continue then to share God's message of Jesus Christ to others, even as you're rejected, and even as you are uh, put down and maybe ridiculed, even if it's somebody that's close to you. God is working through you, even in those situations, and you may be planting a seed, and you may not be the one that harvests that crop, if you will, when you proclaim the gospel, when you share that message, and then somebody else picks it up. So consider persevering through that and understanding that God calls us to serve him. So when you reflect on your life in Christ, has the holiness of God transformed you? Has it changed your attitude? Does it help you understand better your sin nature and your need for a savior? Do you freely say, send me if he calls you, even if you're not sure where he's calling you to and to whom he's going to send you? 
If people ignore you or reject you for talking to them about the cleansing of our Savior Jesus Christ, we then be determined not to give up, to trust in God's timing, to trust in his plan, and understand that that's his call. As you continue to study your Bible, as you hear scripture preached, and as you continue to understand God's holiness, will you always renew your vision and understanding of his holiness and his majesty and his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your son who sacrificed his life on the cross for our lives to pay the sin debt for each of us. We pray that you will change our hearts to understand who you are, to understand your majesty and your glory, the holiness that, that you have that is untouched and unimagined by anyone else. Continue to speak to us, to walk with us, to give us wisdom and guidance. And let everything we say and do give you honor and glory and praise. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.